Welcome to the Carnivore Cast, a podcast focused on the carnivore diet and lifestyle, with practical advice from successful carnivores, citizen scientists, and top researchers. I'm your host, Scott Meslinski, and I'm here to speak with experts and experienced carnivores to get answers to your biggest and meatiest questions while helping you live your best life as a carnivore. Dr. Miki Bendor is a paleoanthropologist at Tel Aviv University studying the casual relationship between paleolithic nutrition and human evolution. Causal relationship, excuse me. In our first podcast together, we covered paleoanthropology and what it teaches us about carnivore, protein versus fat, and fruit. Check that out if you missed it. Um, Dr. Bendor has written a new book, Living Paleo Lifestyle, which extends the template of dealing with the ancestors' modern life mismatch and the emotional aspect of our lives and what to do about it. Welcome to the show, Dr. Bendor. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, um, it's a pleasure. And so I'd, I'd love to start out with just understanding a bit more about, um, you know, how this book came about. What, uh, what inspired you to write this? Well, actually, the, the book came before I was interested in the subject of nutrition. Uh, I, uh, when I reached about 50, 52, uh, work doesn't seem to be, you know, very attractive anymore. And <laughs> I felt that I, I reached the sort of the top of my uh, uh, ability. I was sitting in board meetings. Uh, and really felt like I wasn't doing much. So I decided to quit. I looked at my bank account. I did some calculations. Since I was uh, studying economy, uh, I could do them. And I decided that I, not, that I don't need to work if I can calculate my, my steps correctly. And I just retired. And then I... <laughs> started to, you know, sort of looking around, what, what should I do? And I did some, uh, I, liked, I liked at that time to write poems. So I went and studied some poetry. And, but I always liked hunter-gatherers. That, that was my, since I was very young, I used them as a sort of heuristics uh, to explain to me many things. And I came, I went to the university in Tel Aviv here, looking for places where I could study more about this hunter-gatherers. And I found the, the Department of Archaeology. There were two professors who taught prehistory. And I went and I studied with them just for fun. I, I, was, I wasn't doing anything serious. Uh, and then I decided to write a book about retirement. And uh, why why uh, retirement it could be a solution uh, to people who feel unfulfilled at work. Uh, <clears throat> took me about a year or two, more, more than a year to research and to write the book. And I wrote the book in Hebrew. Uh, and during writing the book, while I was writing, I was starting to research the nutrition aspect of it. I know about paleo. But I didn't know how important it was. And uh, <clears throat> when, I, when I discovered the catastrophe of the, the guidelines uh, from the Americans, uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't think about anything else. So I just published the book and I left that side of it, the emotional side of it, altogether. 
Uh, and now I, uh, I, about half a year ago, I decided to, to translate it to English and publish it in English too. Uh, well, it turns out that you just can't translate and, and send it. You have to actually go through it again. And uh, so it took me a half a year or so to sort of not, not really rewrite it, but uh, edit it very, very heavily. Uh, so that's what I did, uh, and this is the book. Uh, you know, it's it's the thing is that the nutritional mismatch, okay, the mismatch, of course, between what we evolved to be and what uh, what we have today in nutrition is easy to solve. Really, you just start to eat something else. You eat you eat more evolutionary guided food like meat. But in, in, the, in emotion, uh, when it comes to emotion, it's much, much more complicated to identify the problems and to sort of do something about them. I'm not saying to solve them, you can't really solve anything, but at least to ameliorate some, some of, the, you know, of the areas uh, which make you uncomfortable. So <clears throat> that's why I needed you know, a whole book uh, to to try to you know think about it really it's like a I don't know it's it's a little I don't know if it's heavy on philosophy but it has some philosophy in it and but it has mainly uh, I think a good background of what we know about the uh, social and emotional sides of uh, uh, hunter-gatherer societies, which is where our genes are, actually. And this is like a background for the mismatch. So this is what, generally speaking, was the idea. Yeah, it's it's really interesting and novel concept of applying this Paleolithic um, template to not just nutrition, but how we think about life and work and identity, I think it's it's really fascinating. Um, I was not expecting it. Um, and you start with kind of this concept of paradise. Can you talk about what that is and, and um, how that's applicable? Yeah, actually the Hebrew name of the book was uh, Sneaking into Paradise, uh, which is really what I felt when I retired. I felt, all of a sudden, I felt so well. And uh, then I wrote, I read the, piece, I think it was, yeah, it was in in, uh, in a Western Price book about a guy in, in Uganda who said that this is, if I, you know, this is paradise, uh, the, the way that the Ugandans were living, you know, not now, but uh, in the 1920s, uh, this is what was paradise. So I said, yeah, sure, that's what happened, actually, because if you look at the Bible, paradise is more or less a description of uh, of uh, la the life of hunter-gatherers. They don't know much. They don't think too much about uh, anything. They just live their life. Uh, and then uh, when they when they uh, start to know or want to know more and eat from the tree of knowledge, uh, they get punished. And what is the punishment? Work. So. Uh, it's not, I, I personally, I'm not religious, so I don't believe that that's what actually happened. But it certainly reflects 
uh, what people thought, you know, a few thousand years ago. So, yeah, paradise. It was paradise. It was paradise. And uh, when you uh, when you read about hunter gatherers and you see, uh, for many reasons, it was paradise. And what we have today is a little hell compared, of course. Yeah. And and you also talk about this model of culture, work, and identity. Um, can you explain what that is for, for folks? Right, right. The, the, when, you, when you look at it, the world of uh, working or labor is uh, completely different to what hunter-gatherers had. And, uh, and it forces you to do a lot of things that are really pull you away from authenticity. Now, if you think about hunter-gatherers, they grew and they lived more, most of their life, like 99% of their life, in a, in a group that uh, they knew everybody, and everybody knew them from birth. So there was no need to develop or to present a self that is uh, different from what you are. If you were, uh, let's say, forgetful or forgetful person, person that tend to forget, you couldn't hide it in this kind of environment because everybody knew you from, from birth or, or any weakness that you had. And people, of course, have weaknesses and have, uh, you know, strengths, but there was no way to hide the weaknesses. And also, there was no way to be too uh, proud of the of the strengths, because in hunter gatherers, people don't like people who brag about their their strengths. They really don't, and uh, it's not done. So really, you just have to be. You could be authentic. You didn't have to invest a lot of energy in being something that you are not. But if you were at work, of course. Uh, you know, you have to present a certain, uh, you know, personality, uh, and, it, and it changes. If you go to your boss, you have to, you know, behave differently than you behave to your uh, subordinates. So, and, but it's not just work, it, it's, you know, all the time. We all the time have to present a different ego to different people. If you go to super passport control or... Or if you, you know, seek some, you know, driving license, whatever, you always have to be uh, ready to change your personality. The, the personality that you present, I call it the ego, uh, according to the circumstances that, that you live in. The most, the most crucial part and the most time that that happens is during work. So once you stop working, all of a sudden, you don't have to maintain this, this kind of ego. And you can be much more authentic. And this saves a lot of energy. And really, this brings you peace. And some people are so talented that even at work, they don't have to be to, to make a lot of effort. And God, you know, good for them. Uh, God bless them. Uh, but you know, most people. And this is how the capitalist work world is built. Uh, the, the machine is, is pressing you to get 
you know, the maximum out of you. So uh, like, like, you know, if the, you work in a plant, of course, you want to get a maximum out of the machines, but really uh, the competition uh, dictates that uh, your bosses will get, will want to get the maximum out of you too. So I'm not, I'm not blaming anything. And I, and I think uh, maybe I should say right from the beginning that this is not like a, a new ideology or anything. It's just, uh, the book is really aimed at the little person and what he does in his small little environment. And it's not going to change the world. And I don't know, I couldn't, I couldn't think of any better system than capitalism to live today. And the, and the, you know, and the standard of living that, uh, that we have. So I'm not, I'm not going against capitalism, but this is it. This is what happens in capitalism is that people get exploited to the maximum of the, of the people, you know, who need to exploit them. They pay for it, of course. So I'm not saying it's unfair or anything, but so you're under a lot of pressure and, uh, you know, social pressure is, is, is a very strong pressure in, in many, many senses. Yeah, absolutely. And you, um, one of the sections of the book that I liked is called using the primal human as a model does not negate the achievements of human culture. Um, can you talk about, you, you, you talked about how, how you can, um, release some of this ego by, um, quitting working, but how can someone like continue to be, um, by, I guess, certain measures of, of success, successful and accelerate in their career or whatever they want to do, um, in, in their work life while also using the primal human model to, to improve their well-being? Okay, so I think that, uh, you know, it's a, uh, you have to be able, or, or it's not you have to be able, but you have to try anyway, to create the conditions that are as close as possible uh, to the conditions in hunter-gatherers uh, societies of equality and of autonomy. Two, I think the two major basic, and Equality, autonomy, and authenticity. I think if you need three words, these these are them. And I I can't tell anybody in his work how can he do it. But but you know you can. I don't know. Be a freelancer, or you can. Whatever you can do to increase your autonomy, uh, and and uh, try to increase the quality in your environment. Uh, you know, uh, one, one way, for instance, to increase your autonomy is to admit your weaknesses. Now, how can that be connected? But, but uh, if you increase your weakness, if you, if you sort of admit a weakness, uh, you're no longer dependent on the expectation of others uh, in, in that area, let's say. So you can be more authentic. And that saves you a lot of energy. And by the way, uh, admitting a weakness, weakness 
actually helps you to connect with people because people are also want to, they also want to admit their weaknesses they also don't want to behave all the time like they are supermen and they will feel more comfortable around you of course you can do it everything is a you know a question of uh, how much or the measure yeah so of course you're not going to like you know getting undressed completely but uh, i think that uh, Sometimes, for instance, I will, I will give you an example of, of my life. I, for some reasons, I sort of started to advance and to get a career. And, and, and uh, I was working in a chemical company and I, in marketing. And then I became a manager of, uh, of one of the most important branches. Uh, marketing branch. I lived in New York for five years. But I, can't, I can tell you I was a lousy manager. I just, I'm not a very good manager. Uh, people came in, uh, in and out of my office with all kinds of problems. And I felt like a psychologist who doesn't know anything about what he's talking about. So, so once I admitted to myself, first of all, that I, I that's a weakness. I'm not a very good manager. Give me more than three, four people and I'm, I'm lost. Uh, then I took jobs that, uh, you know, that uh, made advantage of my capabilities instead of trying to be what I'm not. <clears throat> and the next, after, after that uh, uh, period, I, you know, I had better, better, uh, experience at work. So this is something that you can do. Uh, okay, you pay, you pay for it. But the price of keeping uh, a job, for instance, that you're not, you don't feel comfortable in, can be, depends, of course, on the degree that you don't feel comfortable in, but it can be like a nightmare and can really ruin your life. Because, and you do it because you expect it to be like Superman. And most people are not. Yeah, I think accepting your weaknesses and, and um, playing to your strengths, there's a lot to be said for that. Um, and, and I think the ego certainly plays into that. People want to believe that they can be good at everything. Um, certainly, I, I've, I've fallen prey to that mistake many times. Um, oh, no, and, and, and um, you talk about um, another section that's very meaty and I think is really interesting is equality, autonomy, and culture. Can you talk about um, a bit of what you, you cover in that section? Yeah. You see, this is a, a – as I said, this has the two basic, I think uh, – and I think even we, genetically, we are uh, built uh, for equality. There's a very uh, interesting experiment that I described in the book, where they took two uh, capuchin monkeys and they started giving them, when the other one saw, they, they gave more to one monkey and less to another monkey. Uh, at certain stage, the monkey who got less just refused to cooperate. He didn't take what he was given, although he needed it. 
But he said, like he's saying, you know, look, I'm not getting for equally, <laughs> equal treatment here, so I'm not going to cooperate with you. So to me, it means that genetically we are built to be equal and to feel that equality is, is, uh, is needed. And the same goes for autonomy. Autonomy is so important in uh, the life of a hunter-gatherer. Now, <clears throat> it's really very strange because these guys live in a small group, 20, 30 people. They're really dependent very much on each other, but still they're autonomous. And uh, so you ask, how can it be that, uh, that you feel autonomous when the whole group is actually dependent on you to bring food and to do your job? Uh, God, God, uh, God, uh, young or whatever. But uh, that's what happens. The, the autonomy is so extreme that uh, the parents don't tell their children what to do. There's a story, good, good story that I heard about a, a tribe in uh, India called the Niyaka. And they were like, uh, the, the Indian government decided to sort of make them, governments don't like uh, nomading tribes because they can't control them. So they, they gave them like houses and they said, you're staying here, here now from, from now on. So, okay, so they stayed in their houses and then the government wanted the, the kids to go to school. But they, they could not get the parents to tell the kids to go to school. The parents just did not. They just didn't know how to do it. It was not in their repertoire to tell kids what to do. So that whoever, you know, a kid that wanted to go to school went to school, but many kids didn't go to school. And so uh, another thing is that they appointed uh, like a head of the group, but really there was no head. They, they didn't have something like that. They didn't have a head of a group. Everybody was equal. Now the head of the group, because they needed somebody to communicate with. So the, the government appointed, you know, X as head of the group. And then they told him one day, look, we are bringing you uh, building material uh, to fix your houses. Uh, at this time, at this date, get the other guys to stand because they had to carry it from the road to their place. Get them to wait for us when we come. Okay. So when they came, it was only this guy there. He just could not tell the others to come with him. He was not, you know, he wouldn't do it. So the autonomy is kept by way of behavior. You just they don't tell anybody. If you want to go hunting, you go hunting. If you don't want to go hunting, nobody will tell you to go hunting. <clears throat> the way it goes is uh, if you want to go hunting and you want somebody else to come with you, you just stand up and you say, I'm going hunting. And that's it. If somebody tells you, yeah, I'll come with you, that's fine. If, if, if they don't, you just go hunting by yourself. So then when you, when you well, now how can you change 
that now coming to the modern world, and of course you cannot allow this level of equality and autonomy, how can you change it? The only way to change it is by building a culture. So that, that's, that's why humans are so smart and so advanced is because we, need, we don't wait for the evolution to work through the genes, uh, we work for, through the culture. But then the culture, so what does the culture mean? The culture means is that because everything becomes more complex, yeah, all the, uh, when you start to domesticate uh, animals and domesticate plants, you need to take care of them. Actually, you need to domesticate yourself too because you have to get up in the morning and you have jobs to do. It's not like hunting, you know, you can go whenever you want. So, so you need to uh, discipline the people. And when the, when the world becomes more complex, every action needs more people to do a small part in order to succeed. So they have to specialize in the part because the, the jobs become more and more uh, knowledge-based and uh, complicated. So everybody can know only part of it. So this is how culture actually uh, work to negate uh, autonomy and equality. Of course, equality is because you need, you need competition to get out the people. You need to, you know, uh, uh, yeah, the capitalism and co capitalism is really built on the fact that the people will not be equal and will want more than other people or want to get what the other people have. So inequality is really a basic condition for uh, capitalism. So now you're, 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 you have to function in a world that is dependent on you losing the autonomy and losing the equality, uh, which goes against your nature, uh, but you have to do it. So what, what the book says is when you retire, you, you can start to return to the original position, not of course 100%, but it, it's much easier to do. But still, even if you're not retiring, just the fact that you know what the, what the situation is, you can identify the points of friction between your innate uh, needs and, and the society, uh, needs uh, you can you can start to you can start to do something about it. This is the first condition. Before I can tell you what to do about it, you have to first of all identify uh, what is wrong and what is the source of of the of the of the trouble. And then you can do. Unfortunately, unless you retire, you can do only small steps. But at least, and and this is something that really. Very difficult to say because everybody has his own, you know, little uh, weird position in the food chain, in the in work uh, uh, that you have to try find it yourself. Like let's say some people will say, okay, so I'm going to have a podcast, and uh, I'll do it after work, but it gives them some sense of uh, autonomy and sense of uh, authenticity to deal with what they want to do.
Yeah, you get into such interesting topics in this book. Um, everything from uh, work and identity to culture and equality to boredom. Um, one thing, uh, I know it's a giant section of the book, um, but meaning and happiness. Can you talk about that section as well? Yeah. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know, uh, there are hundreds of books about meaning. Yeah. How to get, how to find your meaning. Now, it's funny because if you go to hunter-gatherers, you know, uh, I, I, I didn't, I didn't spend a lot of time with hunter-gatherers, but I saw one of them. Ask them, what is the meaning of your life? They will look at you like you came from, you know, the moon. What? What is meaning? They will not know what meaning means. They have no meanings and they have no sense that they need any meaning. The only meaning that they have is to get, get the next, uh, you know, the next uh, piece of uh, meat or, or, or whatever they, they are they're eating. And uh, to get, you know, to get uh, happy and to get, and they are happy without meaning. So how come we need meaning? What is this meaning business? And uh, according to my analysis, we need meaning because we are thinking too much about the past and the future. And uh, we think that we really, if we just die without uh, uh, printing our, 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 without leaving any uh, trace of our existence, uh, that we have wasted our lives. Uh, so we need a meaning that will give us meaning. And uh, but but then of course i mean this is this is it i mean we are now and we need meaning and uh, what i what i propose is to go and get meaning that is compatible with the uh, with our uh, with hunter gatherers with the mismatch that will sort of start to close a little bit the mismatch and i think that uh, <clears throat> the hunter gatherers do get meaning from one thing, and this is helping others. Humans are crazy. I'm, I'm absolutely crazy. And I'm talking about uh, our ancestors and present-day hunter-gatherers. They are social animals to the extent that you don't find in any other animal. We just enjoy helping others and helping them for nothing. We don't get any. I mean, it's in, in the... Of course, in the long term, it helps our survival. Uh, and, and if you look at the from a revolutionary point of view, uh, it makes sense that uh, groups that uh, helped each other and liked helping each other survived, while groups that uh, didn't have that uh, that uh, sort of uh, strategy or, 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 or actually sort of impulse uh, didn't survive. So evolutionarily, we are left with people who are crazy about helping each other. So I'm saying most of the meaning that people get 
most of it, not all of it, comes from where we feel that we were uh, meaningful in helping other people. So you, for instance, doing this podcast, I'm sure because you go back after the podcast and you said, and I maybe I helped someone. Yeah, that's it. I mean, you don't get paid for the podcast, as far as I know. Uh, even if you did, still people want to know that they did something meaningful. It means that they actually helped. If you know, if you come, if you uh, remove all the everything, you come. The, the core is helping other people. So. Just find a way you can help other people, help your family, help your kids, help your friends, help your neighbors, whatever. Just help. And uh, help and find your, where, where are you good at helping? And I think you will get a meaning. And uh, the other thing that I'm talking about meaning, and this is my wife's uh, contribution to it, my wife, by the way, is a psycho, uh, <clears throat> psychoanalyst or, or actually psychotherapist. And uh, so she contributed quite a lot to my understanding about all these things. And she says that there's no meaning without commitment. In other words, you have to commit to something. And sometimes the commitment is built from, not sometimes, but every time, it builds from start doing something. Just start to do something. If you like it, you get to commit to it. And you, when you commit to it, you'll get the meaning. It will come. So this is, a, this is my, you know, five cents about meaning. Yeah, I, I think that makes a ton of sense. Um... I do get paid a little bit for this podcast, but it's definitely not my job. <laughs> it's it's mostly yeah. a labor of love. Um, I can never make a career out of it. But yeah, I do get a lot of meaning. And I think I was listening to another podcast. I forget where it was, but someone was talking about we orient ourselves so much around what can I do to make money when we think about our vocation. Right. Um, right. But really uh, a different orientation is how can I help people? How can I help the most people? Um, what do I have to offer people? Um, and when we think about it that way, I think um, we can we can find more meaning. And I also really like your point around trying something, getting good at it, and the meaning will come. Um, and that aligns so well with a lot of the um, interesting writing and research around passion. You know, so many people say, follow your passion, do what you're passionate about. But right. in reality, yeah, not born with passion. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And it, it's much more likely that when you try something, you know, at first you might might not even like it, you might be bad at it. But as you master something, through mastery comes passion. Um, I think that's that's really powerful. Right, right, right. No, that's that uh, very much, uh, you know, came from the way I, I, when I retired, I really didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't have any meaning. I wasn't even interested in going to the university. I just said, well, what can I do? So I started writing poems, but and then I discovered I don't really have the drive for it. I mean, I feel too good. <laughs> you know, nothing. Uh, I mean, I feel okay. 
So, uh, so then I got and and I found the way the, the area that interests me, and I find I found the meaning just by following very small steps. In, in very small step, I was not born with this meaning. I didn't leave work with that uh, being, you know, a, a PhD in paleoanthropology and 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 publishing a lot about nutrition. So, yeah, it just just do something. Just put yourself in the situation where you can do it, and it will come. Meaning will come. Meaning, meaning, meaning actually, actually is an emergent uh, phenomenon. Yeah. Yeah, it's very well said. Um, well, Dr. Bendora, this has been fantastic. Uh, I think you've given folks a lot to think about. Um, it's a excellent book, really thought provoking. Encourage everyone to to check it out and pick it up. Um, I'll have links in the show notes. Again, the book is called Living Paleo Lifestyle. Um, so check that out right. on Amazon. Um, where else can can uh, folks find out about you or, or what else should um, we well, share with the audience? Actually, um, what I did, I put in my blog, which is uh, paleostyle.com, uh, the summary. So the book has a summary, the summary of the book appears at the beginning of the book, and there's a summary, as you noticed, the summary of each chapter and appearing at the beginning of the chapter, not at the end. Because I didn't want people to stay, waste time reading something that maybe they don't want to. So they, they read the, I hope they read the summary of the chapter, and if they want to go deeper into the subject, they will read the chapter. So the summary of the book, I put in my blog uh, with links, of course, to Amazon and also with links to the audiobook version. Uh, it, because if you go to Amazon, you can only actually get the audiobook if you want to try the Amazon uh, subscription, audible subscription. And uh, I was a little pissed off with that. They, they really don't sell the book as it is. By the way, they don't allow you even to fix the price. Also. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so I'm, I found a place where I put it and people can just go to the place and, and download it. So uh, so th these uh, links are in, uh, in my uh, blog as well. Great. Yeah, I'll link to that as well. Um, that's, that's, that's definitely important. Okay, great. Well, thank you, Dr. Bendor. Um, it's been fantastic and, and really appreciate you coming on. Okay, thanks a lot for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Carnivore Cast. If you enjoyed this episode, please review on iTunes. It really helps us out and share it with a friend. What questions would you like answered or who would you like to hear from in the carnivore research community? You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at carnivorecast or go to carnivorecast.com. You can also email me at info at carnivorecast.com. I'd love to hear from you. Until next time, keep it carnivore.